0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio.
1: What is up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Midtown Business Radio show. And if you are a business executive or entrepreneur, we've got something for everyone today. It was a full show. We had Dr. Gilles Lamar. She's the vice president of professional relations from Life University located here in Marietta. We talked about the upcoming Life Talks World Congress event. The focus of this year's event is Integrity for Life with a host of subject matter experts on subjects from business to your relationships and how integrity can be woven into those to have a more satisfying experience from day to day. Get over to lifetalks.org to get registered We'll also hear from Chuck Papandria of Life Leadership. He and his team come in and consult with businesses who are looking to improve morale, improve engagement among their employees and their executives, leading to higher customer satisfaction ratings and greater sales. Wilkins of Sound River Advisors and Steve Hunter from Green, Holcomb and Fisher will be talking about transition planning for the entrepreneur who built a successful business that at some point they want to transition over to either their heirs or family members or perhaps be able to cash out with a successful sale of their business. Steve Hunter also shared some insights into the health of the ecosystem around mergers and acquisition today, as well as why it makes sense for the business owner who's looking to sell their business to partner with a firm like Green, Holcomb and Fisher to get the best value and have the greatest level of probability of having a successful sale the first time around. We'll also be hearing from Jay Cornelius of Nine Labs and hear how they help brands make sure that their message is being presented to their customers online and across digital channels in the most effective means possible. There's a lot of ways that companies can slip up as they're trying to tell their story across websites and social media And the folks from Nine Labs can help ensure that you're reaching the customer that you're trying to reach and that you're telling them what they need to hear such that they will be more inclined to purchase from you. And they help make sure all that money that your business is spending on these channels is being spent wisely and as effectively as it can be. And Sabatai Palace of a company called Just Military Loans is going to share some information about the solutions that they provide to the active duty and veteran military community giving them access to capital that they need for their family through a variety of channels from loans to other types of credit offerings that they provide into that military space taking into account some of the unique factors that those people deal with every day so leave the stream running and on another tab jump over to lifetalks.org and get registered for Life Talks world congress coming up may 12th and 13th and if you know of a high school senior in the atlanta area who exhibits a high level of integrity in their day-to-day lives. We want to meet them and have them considered for the Integrity for Life Award from Life University. They'll be featured at the Life Talks World Congress event, and the winner of that award will receive a $500 scholarship fund. Just reach out to me through the contacts tab on the show page it's got my email and phone number there you can reach out and recommend a great student that we should be able to feature with us here on the show as well as at the life talks world congress event for consideration of that integrity for life award and stick around for the full interview we've got jay Cornelius, steve hunter chuck papandria Bo Wilkins, Sabatai Palachi, and Dr. Jill LaMarche coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We're going to get right down to it. We've got a full studio of business leaders from around the Atlanta area today, and I'm really pleased to have you all here. Um, since we have some folks in the studio to to get to, we'll, we'll go around the room real quick and introduce our guests, and then we'll get right down to it. So, Chuck, we'll start with you and uh, tell us about who you're with and and who you are.
2: Great. I am Chuck Papandria. I am with MyLifeLeadership.com.
1: I met you at the uh, Cobb County uh, Library Foundation Board. I sit on that board together, so nice to have you here. It's
2: a pleasure to be part of the conversation. And
1: another board member, Jill LaMarche.
3: Yes, who actually invited two of you to join, and uh, <laughs> happy to have you. So, yeah, I'm Jill LaMarche. I'm a vice president at Life University here in Marietta.
4: Bo Wilkins with Sound River Advisors. Uh, glad to be back. <laughs> nice with to you. have you back. Thank you.
5: I'm Steve Hunter with Green Holcomb Fisher.
6: Jay Cornelius with Nine Labs. Sabetai
1: Palachi with Just Military Loans. And I'm glad you all are here, and I'm very glad to introduce everybody to my listeners. Jill, let's start with you, because we've been doing a series with Life University focused on integrity because you have the Life Talks World Congress event coming up
3: here in May, the 12th and 13th, I believe. That's correct, May 12th, 13th, on the campus of Life University. This is the second year that we host the Life Talks World Congress, and this year's topic is a life of integrity we have speakers from across the country coming to spend two days with us to really share their insights on integrity as it relates to personal relationships, uh, business, healthcare choices, and a wide variety of topics. But all really focused on how integrity adds value to people's lives and how it adds value to the community. And you've got
1: some pretty impressive speakers coming to talk on a variety of places where integrity comes into play, both in relationships, uh, your professional life, some some great folks that you can come and actually really come away from it better than you went in.
3: No, absolutely. We talk about, you know, coming out with with lifestyle changes. Life talks lifestyle changes is what we refer to it to. One of the speakers is Dr. Barbara DeAngelis, who for probably three decades has been known around the country as a relationship expert. We have coming from New York, uh, Dr. Michael Benelli, who is a sustainability expert. We'll talk about integrity in how we manage our environment. Um, You know, speakers like that, high quality, all professionals in their own field, or all experts rather than their own field, you know, bringing their perspective on how integrity really leads to creating a better life for everyone. So
1: how does this Life Talks World Congress event fit into Life University? Because I believe that it... From my perspective, as I've gotten to know more about the university, I can see how this particular college really places a lot of emphasis on rounding out the individual as a whole, not just imparting some academic learning on them that would maybe prepare them for a career, but it's also adding elements to their their makeup, if you will, their individual makeup that make them a better citizen in in the community as well.
3: Yes, I know you were touched when you walked the campus with me on a couple of occasions and actually experienced the student body and and the teachers, et cetera. But life University was built on the foundation of lasting purpose. We say to give, do, love, and serve from this sense of abundance with no expectation of of return. Now obviously, in business, you want to return, but from a human perspective that we would choose to really show up, and be willing to play big. So it's built on a, an, on a set of core values, integrity and citizenship being one of the core values, which is why this year's conference is really focusing on integrity.
1: And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that event goes. It sounds like there's lots of interest in, and I know the people that attended last year were really impressed by the event that they went to at that inaugural event that you put on?
3: Yeah, the inaugural event was really spectacular. I would tell you, we didn't have a huge turnout. It's not like we had hundreds and hundreds of people come, but everyone that attended was thrilled with the two-day results. The conference itself is sort of a TED Talk-style conference on the Friday, 20 to 30-minute talks. And the Thursday, we have pre-conference workshops. So an attendee has the ability to choose one one of two workshops in the morning, one of two workshops in the afternoon, and, you know, sort of drill deeper into the topics that they might have an interest in. For example, one of the topics on Thursday is compassionate business. So two PhDs, uh, formerly from Emory, now both in our positive psychology department at Life University, we'll be talking about, you know, compassionate business, how it actually plays a role and how it enhances uh, relationships with your stakeholders, but how it enhances relationships and the possibility of high level delivery by your team. And a lot of people don't see compassion as playing a role in business, but it's a huge role in business once you understand the value of that, and then you see how it seems itself in with the concept of integrity.
1: One thing that a lot of folks may not be aware of uh, that I've been pleased to be sharing about Life University now that I've become more familiar, it's not just the world's largest chiropractic university. It's also one that offers bachelor's degrees in business, a number of health science fields from nutrition, uh, neurology, functional neurology, a number of undergraduate degrees. And then you have several master's programs in some of those courses as well.
3: Yeah. Life was originally built as a chiropractic college uh, 40 odd years ago, but we now have 12 undergrad programs. We have four master's degrees programs and and growing. And I think we've talked on a previous show where we're expanding actually into Europe. So we're in the process of uh, raising funds to develop a campus in Rome, Italy. And, a huge focus at Life University now is on sports, so we're in the process of having a beautiful, you know, athletic field built. Um, we're now on grass. We have two fields on grass, but uh, one of one of them is going to be turf before the end of the summertime. And we're adding new sports. We're adding uh, men's and women's soccer in September. But a lot of people don't know that Life University is considered one of the top rugby programs in the entire nation. And you know, every year we get to play at the um, The CRC, the College Rugby Championships, and every year we're in the, you know, we're the finalists. I mean, last year we we beat out Penn State, for example. We're this little university in Marietta with (laughs) a 3,000 student base. Because of the values that we instill in our students, they perform. They perform at a high level, both academically and in athletics. For example, in the first quarter, a student must attend a course that's actually taught by our president, And the title of the course is Rights and Responsibilities. So he teaches them, they spend a whole day with the president where he talks about, yes, you have rights as a student here. Yes, you have rights as a human being living in Atlanta or anywhere else, but what are your responsibilities related to that? So they get those foundational premises right from the first quarter. And it's built in throughout our programs from our positive psychology program to our sports health science program, to our athletic training program, the chiropractic program, the the nutrition basics.
1: You introduced me to Chuck at the uh, at the Cobb County Library Foundation Board. Introduce, introduce our, our, our listeners to, to Chuck, because I know that he's done some work with Life University as well.
3: Well, just we're, we've been chatting about it. He hasn't done a lot of work with Life University yet, but um, I'm the vice president of the Cobb Library Foundation Board, and our, our goal at the, at the foundation is to raise money so that we can continue to have a thriving library system in Cobb County. And we were looking for new board members, and I invited the two of you to submit your applications. And of course, uh, your credentials and yourselves as human beings were accepted, so it's great to have you on that board. And Chuck, I met at a Cobb Chamber event uh, six or eight months ago. We became friends, and his company, interestingly enough, is called Life Leadership. And at Life University, we have what we call Life Leadership Weekends. So I just wanted to know more about the man and got to understand the business that he's in. And I'm sure he'll have an opportunity to tell us about uh, Life Leadership and what they do to help people enhance their personal uh, skills as well as their professional skills.
1: So thanks for taking some time to join us in the studio. Chuck, talk a little bit about the the, the, the firm and, and what it is you're trying to help the business community achieve.
2: Great, I will. Thank you. Um, I actually uh, formed two companies about 10 years ago, founded on the premise of continuous improvement, maximizing our performance, and just being able to, to reach our full potential. And in that, uh, both professionally and personally, I sought out better information, better The principles that would help us do that. It was great that Jill was talking about a life of integrity and foundational principles, because that's exactly what I was seeking out. I came upon the company Life Leadership that does exactly that. Life Leadership provides personal and professional development, educational materials and training to create a firm foundation for our performance. Um, It provides that information in all walks of life from professional development, personal development, financial development, leadership development. And it truly does create that foundation in our lives that allows us to, to maximize who we are and, and what we are able to achieve. So that's the premise of, of what I do and why I've decided to, to leverage Life Leadership.
1: So what's your background before launching Life Leadership or being a part of that firm? What, what, what brought you here?
2: Uh, You bet. I I had a uh, 19-year corporate career with GE, pretty much all in the area of continuous improvement. There's a, a discipline called Six Sigma, Six Sigma Quality. I was a master black belt with GE and Six Sigma for six years. And that's part of what I leveraged into my personal career as well in terms of continuous improvement, working with companies to help them maximize their growth, productivity, employee engagement, customer service, leadership through that.
1: And is there a, when you when you look out into the business community, is there a particular demographic, whether it's business size or particular verticals, that you tend to focus your your talents on?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's interesting. We all need to maximize our potential. We all um, can stand to to learn more and and produce more as a result. Um, the the materials through life leadership can actually be leveraged anywhere from the from the individual, the small business owner all the way up to a Fortune 50 company. And I've actually worked all the way in that, in that range. It's really the leaders who recognize, one, their need to grow to be able to attract other leaders, their ability to have what is called replacement-driven leadership into their organizations to, to replicate themselves uh, within those organizations. And also those individuals that have just been placed in positions that they're not yet equipped to be able to to truly perform. So it really runs the gamut. It's anybody that wants to to grow, wants to to perform at a higher level.
1: And when we're talking about, I don't know, it may not be esoteric, but something that's not necessarily easy to to conceptualize where I'm trying to think about it from the perspective of if I'm a business leader, I'm listening today, I'm sure there's plenty of people that need this kind of consulting and, and expertise to be made available to them, but they don't necessarily understand the problem, you know what I'm saying? That right, th- they may have the problem, they don't necessarily realize it. So, how do you help elucidate? This is the value of investing time and treasure in in linking up with us,
2: right? One example might be employee att- attrition, or just uh, the the fact that employees are coming into a company and moving out. Uh, that's a key measurement for a company. Right. I like to go back to what are the key measurements that company is driving, whether it be productivity, whether it be growth, uh, what are those measurements that that they are uh, trying to achieve and how are they performing on those measurements? A lot of times you can back that up and understand that it is based on leadership. It's based on uh, the people issues of a company a lot more than the technical issues or the expertise within a company that drives that. And the space, that, the space that we actually uh, reside in, um, people want better results either in their life or in their professions. Our results come from the actions, uh, the behaviors, the habits that we have. Those come from our thinking. And that actually originates from information. The information that we take and apply in our lives will cascade into better results in our lives. And we are in the information space.
1: Are there a set of if you are talking to me for the first time introducing me to you just in general, I'm like, Oh, what do you do? Are there certain like two or three questions that you would kind of hope to know the answer to from me as a potential client of yours that, that would help quickly make you go, Oh yeah, they, they need to, they need to talk to us.
2: Right. Um, I may ask questions around employee performance, conflict resolution, behaviors attitudes cultural issues within your company might be might be one question uh, it's interesting I had a, a business leader that about a year ago had come to me and said can you come in and uh, do training on morale we would like <laughs> we would like to train our employees on morale and I kind of looked at him and smiled and said um, do you think that's something that we should truly train or Um, might we have a leadership problem? And I immediately just asked that question. I had enough relationship with him to say that. And he just stopped in his tracks and said, yeah, I think we actually need to engage our leadership team to be able to better understand why we're having morale, employee engagement issues. And it was just that immediate question Allowed us to transform the conversation, and this gentleman actually put 33 of his directors and above into our into our leadership uh, course. Just actually, just absolutely transformed their company and the key measurements that they had. Um, I'll back up real quick to what you were saying there. Um, their key indicators were around customer satisfaction and employee engagement, and they have annual surveys on that. And their, their performance was just, just horrible in those mm-hmm. two areas. And we actually established that as our measurement to understand whether or not what we were doing was effective. And they came in a year later just with stellar results. And um, they attributed that directly to the engagement in our content.
1: And they took down the signs that said, the beatings will continue till morale improves. That's
2: exactly <laughs> right. I actually use that statement. I appreciate you saying that. It's amazing how our mindset is that we can enforce morale. It yeah. starts from the top.
1: It was interesting. I Not long ago on LinkedIn, I saw a quote from Richard Branson that said, if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it sounds like that's in line with what you're talking about.
2: Exactly. I had one leader that I worked with that actually in their, in their 2015 goals had cascaded through leadership development, developing other leaders, employee engagement, customer service, and business growth. And those were uh, his five key Uh, Measurements for the year and five key goals, and he put them in that order for a reason.
1: What's the engagement like? Is it a weeks long, days long process? How does it flow?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Most most uh, training and such is a weekend, a seminar, a a one shot one shot experience without the ongoing reinforcement. Our our content is designed for um, one self directed education and two learning on a daily basis. What are you reading and listening to on a daily basis? So our leadership course, for instance, is set up in three six-month modules with content being delivered on a monthly basis. So uh, a book, four audios coming on a monthly basis, very high quality, high value content, very low cost. And a leader can put 20, 30, 40 of his team on this content, a lot of times for what it costs him to send one employee into a week-long engagement or week-long experience without necessarily the sustaining value. So that's one example of the content that Life Leadership provides.
1: MyLifeLeadership.com, the website to go and get linked up with you, are they able to, I guess, request a consultation or a conversation with you about how they get started?
2: Right. They can can reach me uh, or at least... Through that one mechanism. And then chuck at chuckpapandria.com is a way to directly uh, link up with me by email.
1: I'm pleased to have you here to share this information with you. A few, well, I guess it's been a couple of years ago now, Bo, that I met you here through the show. You were on with, I think, Michael Hollingsworth. um, That's right. uh, From Nelson Mullins upstairs. Uh, For folks who aren't familiar with, you and Sound River, talk a little bit about how you help both the private business owner or entrepreneur that's got a business that's growing. Maybe they want to try to figure out what they want to do with it down the road. Do I sell this thing for a big golden parachute? Do I hand it off to to the kids or to the family
4: members? Talk about how you help those business leaders. Yeah. So I've been in the business 24 years and primarily working with wealthy families, family offices, and privately held business owners. And on the one hand, we we work with families that are interested in legacy planning, we call it wealth transfer planning. Uh we work with their estate planning lawyers and their other team of advisors to help them uh figure out the best way they're going to transfer assets to the next generation generations. And some of that, you know, has to do with mitigating estate tax and and even income tax along the way and gift tax and and the like. The other half or even more of what we do is what traditionally has been succession planning for business owners has morphed and grown due to the the baby boomers now getting where they want to exit or transition their businesses into a practice that we call exit planning or transition planning. And so we have a consulting practice around that where we create an actual written plan for the business owner to exit and if and in that and like i said most of those are baby boomers it, it doesn't mean that the owner is looking to exit in the next 6 months typically that's not a good situation we want to have our business owners typically it's a, it's 3 years out or more and so we're we we are the general contractor of the plan And then we work with the team of advisors that support the owner, be it the corporate attorney, the investment banker, valuation advisor, insurance advisor, estate planning attorney. So we call those the subcontractors that actually affect the work that's called out in the plan. So what we're trying to do is build value in the company while we're getting towards that exit or that transition, mitigate risk in the company which builds more value, uh, create a company that's not dependent on the owner, mm-hmm. which builds more value. And how often do you find that it actually is very much tied to that person? And get, the, yeah, right. and get the owner comfortable that they're not having to maybe trade in their suit of armor and, you know, for a set of golf clubs, I like to say. <laughs> so they, you know, cause that's the big issue is selling sort of that emotional equity and, you know, that because they've a lot of owners that are you know, a 60 year old owner that's run a company for 30 years that they started, they're very tied to it emotionally. So we work with uh, them to create a plan that if they want to stay involved, we can keep them involved as well. So, so essentially that's, you know, we, we run that process for an owner of basically saying, we're going to create, we're going to architect this plan for you with your team of advisors. And, uh, and just, and then we go into implementation and we keep working and working until we get to that exit.
1: What's the relationship like when you're in that kind of overarching, if you will, super contractor role, where you're coordinating and saving a lot of the legwork on behalf of that entrepreneur, making sure that each of those experts is contributing and staying on track for your goals? It, it, do you have the relationship then, say, with a, a Steve Hunter, and you're essentially paying his services and you're billing for for it, one bill going to the to the entrepreneur? How does that flow from a business? Model.
4: Yeah. So I, I would say two things. One is what's helpful for the business owner is that I am now the go-between between the owner and his team of advisors, where before the, owners, the owner has advisors in his right ear and his left ear and sometimes competing interests. And so what we do is we actually get the advisor team on one page for the owner's benefit. Uh, which is a huge time saver for the owner, but it 's m- more important it's it's in the owner's best interest. so anybody that's on the team that isn't a team player is going to get moved off the team and likely replaced with somebody that that is really not there to serve themselves but to serve the owner. How we get paid, we get paid a fee to create the plan any any uh advisor that's a part of the team like Steve is going to bill. The owner directly, and you know, we certainly uh, can and will be involved in any of the if if the owner wants us to be as far as negotiating fees with any of the advisors on the team. But I've got a retirement planner; I'm I'm all set. <laughs> I'm sure
1: you hear that um, because what we're talking about here with what Sound River Advisors is doing is a little taller than that. It's it's what's going to happen to this business in addition to what are you going to do to be able to stay on the beach and play golf like you want?
4: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think a big question is, is we ask a business owner is what's your business worth? And they'll say it's worth $10 million. And I'll say, well, how do you know? Well, I just know. I'm like, well, did you get a valuation done recently to tell you that? He's like, no. I'm like, so how do you know? <laughs> Right. And then I'm like, well, how much value do we need to extract and liqu- liquidity from the company for you to take care of your cash flow through retirement? And they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm like, well, you, so how do you know? So you don't know how much money you need to sell your business for. Then is what you're telling me. And you don't know what it's worth. But you just told me it, you thought you knew what it was right.
1: worth. So that's kind of that discovery conversation that, we're, that I'm talking about, where the person maybe thinks I've got a guy or gal that helped advise me on my retirement but that's not necessarily going to. They're they're working on the income they're making today, I assume, as much as anything. But not necessarily
4: what's going to happen when this business is transitioned. Yeah, which by the way is going to take care of most of their retirement because a typical privately held business, you know, the owner does not have a lot of liquidity on the sidelines. They've yeah, been they're driving throwing it back in. Absolutely. Yeah. So so it is. You know, it is imperative that that, that, that business we get maximum value in the marketplace. On an after-tax basis for the owner, and that's a lot of what Steve helps with. And 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 on that note, you you mentioned Steve as a somebody that
1: you would be collaborating with. Introduce yeah. us a little bit, since we may do some work together here and there.
4: Yeah, so I've known Steve Hunter uh, for a very long time. Uh, Steve's a a well-known professional in the investment banking community, and I would say his firm is you know nationally known and is making big waves in the Atlanta market for sure and Steve's approach is like mine that is um, relationship based, comprehensive so it works well with what we do and uh, and it makes it a, a very collaborative effort. so
1: well Steve, thanks for taking some time and introduce folks to to Green Holcomb Fisher and and what the firm's all about.
5: Yeah, sure. thanks again for having me here today. Uh, Green Holcomb Fisher is a national middle market mergers and acquisitions firm. We are uh, headquartered in Minneapolis, and I opened up the office here for uh, for the firm in April of 2012, so almost exactly four years ago. Before that, I was with a couple other Southeastern-based firms, uh, Morgan Keegan, which was based in Memphis, but had an office here. And then I started off my career with Robinson Humphrey, uh, an old Atlanta firm that most people are, know about from, it was around forever. It's now part of SunTrust. What we do is we generally work with privately owned, privately owned uh, businesses who, uh, as like Bo mentioned, uh, the the baby boom has been a big driver of our business. Uh, business owners get to a certain age, or there's some life event, and they decide, "Hey, I need to I need to figure out what to do with my business." Uh, we're not as uh, we tend to not be as proactive and on, the, on as much in the uh, the owner's personal business as Bo might be, and we tend to be we tend to get called in when the business owner has made the decision that it's time to try to find a buyer for the business.
1: And so you will link them up with that prospective buyer potential. Yes,
5: we, uh, I mean, at at a very simplistic way, uh, sometimes I explain it, that we're sort of like real estate agents for companies. Uh, It's a little different in that uh, in our business, there are different sort of tiers of firms. So if you have a a small business and by small, I'd say $3 million of of pre-tax profit or below, uh, most of the time, you'll end up working with what, what we would call a business broker, where they would put some very simple materials together. They might post it on a website, send out information. We tend to work with businesses that have uh, EBITDA or, or pre-tax income of $4 million up to about $20 million. Uh, in that role, we're sort of the full service advisor. So we, we advise on, we, we help put the materials together. We help put presentations together. We, we run a very structured and regimented process to find the right buyer for the business.
1: And the news likes to talk about the state of the economy, but I'm sure folks in your space have a pretty good finger on the pulse, if you will, of what's going on. What is the what is the market like now? Is it cooking? Is it going well or, or, or not?
5: Yeah, sure. It, it, it's really interesting. It's, it's not at all, I think, what people expect uh, or, or would expect from all the headlines. Uh, the market for mergers and acquisitions for privately owned companies is extremely good. It has been strong for probably since coming out of the recession, maybe starting in 2011, 2012. uh, We just finished off our third record year in a row. We completed 30 transactions last year. You know, I'd say the one area of weakness that we are seeing or hearing about from our clients is probably on the industrial sector. Anyone that's selling products into the oil and gas market Mm. is obviously seeing some softness. But uh, the the main driver for our business tends to be uh, two things, actually three things. One, uh, the supply of businesses. So are there businesses out there that need to be sold? And in this case, you know, each year, these business owners get one year older. So the, the problem's not going away. Uh, secondly, it's availability of credit. So are the banks willing to lend money to transactions? And despite all the headlines, you know, there, there are dozens and dozens of banks out there that want to lend money to transactions, both traditional banks, non-bank financial institutions, hedge funds, uh, groups like that. Uh, and then third is is capital to buy businesses. So large corporate buyers have a lot of cash and are looking for ways to grow their business and acquisitions is one very logical way. And then the second is private equity. There's hundreds of billions of dollars of, of private equity capital that has been raised by investment groups uh, strictly with the purpose of putting to putting that business, putting that money to work in buying privately owned businesses. And so all three of those things have, are really driving the activity level in our business. So it, it continues to be strong. And I think a lot of times when we meet with business owners, they're very surprised to hear that. They think, gee, there's all these bad things going on overseas. You know, I'm reading about all the trouble in the oil and gas sector. And, and I think they're very surprised. And sometimes they're a little suspicious that, you know, we're not we're not telling them the truth. But um, <laughs> it, it's it continues to be a very, very active and competitive market.
1: I'm just going to sell my business myself. I can handle that, I think. I know how much it's worth.
5: You'll, you'll, uh, well, you, you'll, uh, you might be successful. The, what I usually tell people is uh, this: I had, a, I had a great meeting yesterday with a technology-related firm, substantial business, probably more than ten million of of cash flow. They thought that they knew the answer to everything, and they tried to do it on their own. And they got uh, six to eight months into it, spent probably fifty seventy five thousand dollars on uh, accounting fees, legal fees and then found out the person they were dealing with didn't really have the money that they said they had to close on the deal. So we often get brought in uh, after an owner has tried to sell the business themselves. And they said, I don't know. What we like to tell people is, listen, if you're selling your business, uh, much like Beau talked about, your entire net worth is wrapped up in that business. When you sell that business, you have one shot, maybe one shot, you might get a second shot if you sell a a piece of it, uh, but you get one sort of chance to kind of ring the bell and, and set yourself up and your family up. And when you're selling that business, that's the first time you're ever going to do that. The people that you're selling your business to, the people that are buying your business, that's what they do for a living. So you're you're sitting across the table from someone who does that for a living. That's their profession, and you've never done it before. You know how do you think that's going to turn out? And so <laughs> a lot of times it's just a matter of I would say the majority of the time we are brought in it's by a corporate attorney. Um, you know groups like you mentioned Nelson Mullins or or uh, other firms like that where. A lot of times we find that the, the the business owner's trusted advisor is his attorney. He'll say, you know, I'm thinking about doing something, you know, what should I do? And he'll say, well, why don't I introduce you to two or three firms and you meet with them and and you assess kind of what you think. So we, uh, most of the time, you know, we're introduced through uh, another advisor, whether it's an accountant, an attorney, a wealth manager, you know, it's our job to convince that client that we're going to do the right job for them. The thing that's that's nice about our business is all we do is sell side representation one of the problems that you've read about some in the press is a lot of these bigger financial institutions, Wall Street firms, non-Wall Street firms, but when they're involved in financing, when they're involved in sales and trading, research, brokerage, there's a lot of ways that they can be making money on a transaction. And if you're the business owner, you sometimes are scratching your head thinking, where, where do their allegiances lie? In our business, it's very simple. We're, we're getting paid by the owner to find a buyer for his business. So we're not, we're not making money any way off of the transaction that he's not aware of. So it's a it's a very clean model that doesn't have any conflicts of interest.
1: How challenging is it, do you think, to find that buyer that is really kind of perfect, if you will, for so that it's a win-win for both the buyer who's maybe looking to add a, a complementary business line to their existing business, uh, but that also will value it on a level that will benefit that seller? Because that's one of the things I've heard from the perspective of selling a business that is challenging is... Uh-huh is, and why it makes sense to link up with someone in your space, just because you have the ability and know where to look.
5: Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's a couple of ways that we really add value. One is, uh, one of our roles is just to take the burden off the plate of the owner. So one of the things that we always tell our clients is, listen, your job is to run the business and to produce the financial results that you say you're going to produce. If you're trying to run the business and sell it at the same time, that's, that's like having two full-time jobs. You're going to you're going to not do a good job at one of the two. You're going to take your eye off the ball and and miss your earnings, you know, miss the projections that you've laid out. So one is a very simple, you know, we we take a lot of that burden off the owner's plate. So that's one. The second is the structuring the deal and the negotiations. You know, most of the time, the deals are very similar in terms of how they're structured. And we've got a lot of experience. It's uh, most of our guys have probably 20 plus years of experience. And every deal is a little bit different, but there's a lot of knowledge you pick up over time of, you know, if a problem comes up, how do you solve it? And if there's a, a... an issue with the transaction? How do you structure around it? We tend to work a lot with the corporate attorneys on that, making sure that the the deal is the right deal. There's a lot of aspects of the deal outside of the financials that are just as important. You know, am I going to have a non-compete? Am I going to have a non-compete that's part of the deal? How are they going to take care of my management team? You know, do I want an employment agreement or do I not want an employment agreement? If a lawsuit arises after the deal, am I going to be responsible for that or will that be? You know, how will that be handled? So a lot of those kind of things. That, that drift into the, the legal side. It's a little bit like, like Bo referenced. Um, you know, we kind of view it that we're the quarterback for the transaction. One of the things we like to say is our deals are generally structured that we get a success fee that's paid at closing. And so on the transaction, we tend to be one of the few people that's not getting paid hourly. So right. a lot of times the, uh, you know, I don't think they would, No one would ever admit this, but sometimes there's an incentive to drag things out because we're billing hourly. So our job is to kind of get the deal across the finish line because we don't get paid until the deal closes, as opposed to, you know, maybe some consultants or environmental consultants or lawyers or attorneys where you know the meter is running as long as they are still working. So that's one piece of it. On your question about the buyers, we've gotten very good at coming up with a methodology to kind of work through, okay, let's talk through who your competitors are, let's talk through who your international and domestic competitors Mm -hmm. are. Let's talk through who your customers are. Would they be interested? Let's talk to you about your suppliers. Um, On the private equity side, it's much simpler. There's some very good databases out there. We have our own database that we've created in Salesforce that we track all of our buyer interaction through. So we have very good data on who are the right buyers from a size standpoint, from an industry standpoint, how have they behaved in prior processes there's a lot of people out there that are calling themselves private equity groups these days that don't have any money. They're, they're known as fundless sponsors. And so a lot of times people will uh, represent that they have the ability to do a deal. And then you sort of dig in a little further and you find out, well, wait, you don't have a committed fund. People will say, well, you know, we can find the capital. Don't worry about it. But that, that's the type of stuff that's sort of the inside baseball that the business owner doesn't know. Right. And so what we always tell people is, listen, whether you use us or you use someone else, you really need to have a good quality advisor and you know, check references, uh, check to make sure they've done deals like what you're doing. You know, if, if the firm, all they do is healthcare and you're an industrial business, you know, they're probably not the, the right fit for you. So, and then I think the, uh, you know, the personality and the firm culture matters a lot too. Um, we're, uh, the way our firm is structured, we have about 30 professionals and 14 of them are managing director level people. So about half of our employees are senior level uh, investment bankers, as opposed to a lot of the bigger firms, where they're much more of a pyramid structure. So, if you're a, a, a senior a senior partner at one of those firms, your job is to find the deal, get the deal, hand it off to your junior team, let them process it, and show up at the closing dinner, and then go find the next deal. And so, you're really in a business development role where all you're doing is feeding the beast and and making sure that nothing gets off track. Whereas our model is much more of a, a hands-on. You know, we we don't have a marketing team and then an execution team. We have sort of one team. And so it's, you know, if you hire me, I'm the one that works on your deal. So we tend to, um, we tend to promote that because uh, the, the the older business owners, especially, you know, guys in their sixties and seventies, they, they want to be able to pick up the phone and call the decision maker. They want to be able to call someone, whether it's me or, or one of my partners on the deal and say, you know, I need an update. Why haven't you called me? What's the latest? What's going on with this buyer? What's going on with that buyer? So that availability and, and ability to reach sort of the senior Transaction team member is is important, so we put two senior guys on every deal.
1: And I'm sure it's somewhat tempting to field that phone call when someone calls to say, "Hey, we're interested in your business, or are you interested in selling?" To try to start some of those discussions, yeah, right there from the business owner's perspective. But it sounds like, based on what you were saying with regards to. The fact that many of those businesses may not necessarily be all they're representing, that it might make sense to say, hey, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna send you over to my guy over at Green Holcomb and Fisher and they'll be able to
5: Yeah. Most talk of the time you. when we get hired, it's really interesting that the, the business owner almost always has a file of letters that he's received <laughs> from people. And so when we get walk in, they'll open up the folder. And it's funny because two or three of them are always the same. There's there's some firms that just blanket they get hired by investment groups to find deals. And they just blanket the universe with letters saying, you know, I'm working for so-and-so and we want to buy businesses just like yours. We buy ugly businesses. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like that. Um, but I think that the, uh, you know, I was thinking about why uh, why it is that sometimes these groups are successful in getting the owner to to engage on sort of a one-off basis. And I think what it is, is a lot of times the business owner is, is reluctant to uh, let the cat out of the bag that he's thinking of doing something. So mm-hmm. he thinks, gee, if I can... If I can get something done with this guy and I don't have to go and and drag my attorneys into it until later in the process, and I don't have to let my employees know maybe I can do it, and it'll just be it's sort of like avoiding the pain of of admitting that you're going to sell the business. These people are in the business of buying businesses, and you're that's not most of the time the core competency of the owner and so it's it's what we some of the smarter business owners that I've seen who who are very uh sort of savvy from a from a business and deal standpoint you know love to toy with these people and sort of say, oh well you know I've already got an offer from so-and-so at this, and, you know, why would I talk to you and kind of yes. toy with them a little bit and, and string them along and, and, you know, put the letters in the folder. And then when they call back, say, oh, by the way, I've hired, you know, I've hired Green Holcomb Fisher, just call them. And, you know, th- at that point, sometimes they, sometimes they do call us and other times they don't because what our job is to, is to try to make the market efficient. You know, we want to find that optimal buyer that's willing to pay the, the maximum price for the business owner. All these people that are out looking for deals uh, outside of processes you know, their goal is to find deals that are, that are not at the optimal yeah, price. Of the yeah, exactly. Of deals, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, you know, are you buying, uh, uh, you know, a, a for sale by owner that, that nobody knows about, or are you buying, you know, a a, business, a house that's listed with, you know, in the FMLS system. So it's, it's this very similar kind of thing. It's, it's to try to, uh, you know, what, what we really pride ourselves on is running a very regimented and structured process so that the, at, when it comes time to make a decision, the business owner has multiple options to decide, you know, which group do I want to work with? Which group do I think is going to help preserve my legacy? Which group is going to take best care of my son that's running the business? Um, you know, all those kind of things. Because the nice part is, because the market is so competitive right now, you will almost always have multiple offers that are very comparable in value. It then becomes what are the non-financial terms that are important to you, and you can really drive those. Because if one buyer is not willing to to do something. You can sort of play them off against the other and say, well, I have someone here that will. And if you won't, I'm going to go with them. And so it's a, you know, it's kind of a a fairly hard edged mercenary process, but that's that's the role we fill. And and we kind of can be that layer between the business owner and the buyers and kind of, you know, kind of have those hard conversations with them that sometimes would be awkward if you're going to be working with the people after the deal closes. Where do they need to go to get more information about the firm? Sure. Probably the, the best place is we've got a, a good website that we just redid a year or two ago. It's www.ghf.net. We have offices in uh, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Seattle, and Phoenix. You know, like I said, we, we work nationwide. My task is to really try to grow our presence uh, in the Atlanta and, and Southeastern region. So we're, as Bo mentioned, we're uh, we're actively out um, you know, trying to, uh, to to stir up more business and, and let people know about the great service we have to provide.
1: Well, after having going to Atlanta CapCon, mm-hmm. seeing the, I don't know how many exhibitors were in there, at least a hundred um, in that hall that were Several. capital and investment banking. There's many, many out there that are in the space trying to, to vie for your business. So it's nice to be able to bring somebody in that's Friend of a friend, if you will, people sure. that that are being referred by folks I already know are of high integrity to introduce the business community to, so that they can start out and maybe save themselves some headache by going straight to uh, folks who are going to handle them right.
5: No, it's uh, I, I enjoy being here. I mean, the, when the integrity conversation was interesting because a lot of times you know when people are making these very important life decisions, that's really when you get to see whether you know they they have integrity or not because a lot of times the stress of you know the importance of it will cause people to do some things that are uh, you, you'd be surprised at.
1: What I guess it's been probably a couple of years ago too that I met you, Jay. You were a neighbor mm-hmm. at the time. You had a space here in the uh, Atlantic Station area that you were doing in the tech space, but your your real focus on a daily basis is Nine Labs. Talk about what Nine Labs is all about.
6: Nine Labs is a brand, experience, design, digital agency. So we help companies who um, have some kind of presence on the web communicate what they do to their most valuable customers as effectively as possible. So you could think of it as a marketing thing, but it's really more about telling the brand story in a way that's compelling. And I remember when I first started talking to you, one of the ways
1: that businesses go awry with regards to not sharing their brand effectively is not having the mobile platform come into consideration with how things are displayed, how it looks, it can look very differently, not really mm-hmm. tell the story. And that's where...
6: From what I understand, as many as half or more people are experiencing you first. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many companies um, have a website or have something that doesn't look good on a phone. We're seeing more and more people are using a phone or a small screen or some mobile device as their primary way of getting information. What they'll do is they'll check out a website or they'll uh, read an email on their phone and then make a decision whether or not to follow up on that later when they're in front of a computer. So that first impression is often happening on a very small screen, and if that 's a bad impression, they're going to forget about that company and move on i've got I've got my
1: website so i I designed it it was really nice looking on goDaddy it it looks great <laughs> What do you say to that person that maybe they've got to do it themselves you know who who's the customer? Is it really more going to be kind of like we were talking about earlier with with Steve? Uh, is there a demographic of maybe a mid to large size business that needs to be thinking about linking up with you or well, what we anybody? say
6: is is we help startups grow big and we help big companies think like startups. So if you have a company who is trying to accomplish some goal and are using the web or using some digital mechanism to do that, whether it be social like Facebook or Twitter or any of the other social networks out there or email marketing or any of those things, you're not getting the results that you expected or you're not happy with the way that things look or the way that things work. That's a great spot for us to come in and help fix that problem.
1: Now, are you able then to also do some web design if you see some elements on my Mm -hmm. website with regards to either how it's displaying my information? Because things are changing a little bit now with regards to user flow, how how you want your visitor to experience your website. And you can come in and from what I understand, you have expertise on board that can do some of that for me if we need to do some tweaking.
6: Yeah, that's our main focus. So inside the industry, we are known as an user experience design firm. So what we do is look at what the business goal is, what the user's goal is, and where that overlap is, and we design to that. So if a customer is trying to come and and learn more about a business, or they're trying to buy a product, or they're trying to fill out a form so they can get more information, we need to know what that goal is. And then we can design the site, or we can design all that experience around pushing that person to that goal.
1: Are there some particular mistakes that you see? We talked about the fact that not taking care of the mobile device and capturing that platform effectively. But are there some other areas that you see the businesses, large and small, kind of getting off the tracks?
6: Yeah. One of the number one things is that people don't really understand who their customers are or don't understand who their ideal customers are. So they're saying things from their perspective and they know everything about their business and they know how the business works and they know what the value is, but they don't know how to communicate that in a way that is easy to understand for the person who needs their business most. So they'll use terminology that the customer doesn't understand or they'll use phrasing or they'll, they'll use different types of uh, imagery or language that the customer just doesn't relate to. So one of the things that we do is we have what we call the RAD framework, right. which is research, attract, and delight. So first we need to know who the customer is. So we do research and figure out what are their demographics? What are their psychographics? What are their pain points? What are they trying to achieve? Then from that, we can use our knowledge to attract them to that product or service, whether that be through email or social or, or the website. And then once the, we get them there, we can then delight them with the experience that we've created because we understand what their needs are.
1: What's the process of getting to know what those customers look like, who they are, what they like?
6: It, a lot of it is just talking to people. We've got a variety of tools. You can actually go to our website at 9 know your customer and get a free blueprint that you can download and uh, go through this process yourself. It will ask you some questions. You start with your value proposition. It asks you questions about who you think your ideal customer is, and then leads you through a process to define that even better. A good example is you might have like this coffee mug, and you're targeting 25 to 35-year-old people who live in Atlanta. Well, that's not just not precise enough. First, you don't know if they even drink coffee hot beverages where they might want a coffee mug, or you don't know if they already have a collection of coffee mugs, or you just don't know enough about that person. So you have to get more precise in understanding who you're targeting.
1: So do you then contact who, who are some, what you believe to be happy clients that have purchased from you or that have used your service and you're interacting directly with some of those people to kind of get a picture of what the customer base looks like.
6: Yeah. And you can do that. You can also go out and just do guerrilla research, just walk into a coffee shop or go to networking events and just find people who um, have a need that's similar and just start asking them questions. And part of what we do is give a structure to that. So you know what questions to ask, how to ask questions in a way that aren't leading. So you're not um, confirming a bias that you already have. And we actually have a research team that can do all that for you. So if you don't know enough, you say, here's a, here's an email list of my, of a 1,000 people who have done business with me, we can go and then conduct all that research on your behalf.
1: And what is the engagement like whenever I link up with Nine Labs to begin to take a look at my digital approach, if you will, to presenting my business? Is it a, is it a kind of a project-related relationship where it's just a number of weeks or a number of months to accomplish the task? Or do you tend to become almost like an ongoing partner, if you will, that is a more of a long-term outsource type relationship?
6: There are really two ways that we work well. One is very, very simple. It's flat rate, either day rate or two day rate workshops where we come in and solve a particular problem. And that can be identifying customers, that can be working on enhancing the way that an interface works or fixing a design problem. Then the other thing that works really well, particularly with a, a lot of companies, Instead of saying, we've got this giant website redesign that we want to do and we're going to charge you $100,000 and come back in six months with your new website and there's going to be this grand reveal, we don't work that way because there's too much risk. So rather what we do is a results-driven, what we call growth-driven design. So we start by looking at what's what's the low-hanging fruit, what's the number one thing that we can work towards, then we're going to spend two weeks and work on that thing and show some results. Then we're going to work another two weeks on another thing, or continue working on that one goal. Maybe that's um, less people abandoning shopping carts. Maybe that's more people filling out a contact form. Maybe that's just more people visiting the website from an email address, or more people signing up for a newsletter. Whatever that goal is, we're going to work in that in two-week sprints, and we break that project down so it's easier to understand. It's, there's less risk, both from a financial and an operational perspective, and we can start to see results a lot faster.
1: From the perspective of ROI, it sounds like two things will happen, if not more, that my existing customers that have been coming to my digital platform, my website and social media, et cetera, that maybe I'll be providing a better experience that leads them to, to purchase more. But then also, based on what you're saying, those people that maybe pop by my, my online presence for the first time are going to be more likely. So my top line revenue will grow as a result of making such an investment.
6: I forget the guy's name. He was CEO of Target back in, I believe, the 80s. And one of his strategies was grow the company as big as you possibly can, gather as many customers as you possibly can, and then fire all the bad ones. So what he was doing is slowly honing Target's uh, audience to be the people who are most likely to be valuable revenue-generating customers for the company. So what we do is by looking at what that audience is, that Target audience, the, when they come to your website, they're going to self-select. Either they're a good uh, customer for you or they're not. And we know that because of the, the information that we do in the research phase. And then what we put up on the website is going to attract just those people. Talk about where folks
1: can go to get more information. You mentioned Nine Labs. Do you have some social media sites as well that, that folks can get linked up with?
6: Yeah, just search for Nine Labs anywhere you want. You'll find us. It's Ninelabs.com, N-I-N-E-L-A-B-S.com. Um, you can email me at hello at Ninelabs.com. We can reach me on Twitter. My handle is JC, just letter J, letter C. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have.
1: We'll have to have you come back on sometime with somebody that's gone through the process with Nine Labs, and they can talk a little bit more about this is where we were before we got linked up with them, and now check it out. Sabate, Palachi, I met him, uh, what is it, the Super Bowl party, actually. Yeah. Introduced to, to me through Bo Wilkins, as I've met a number of folks here, got to talking about what you do and thought it might be worth sharing a little bit of information about your company. So talk about how you're helping the veteran community, Sabate.
0: Well, this is not only the veteran community, this is also the active duty uh, military personnel. Basically, what we do is we provide financial solutions uh, for for our armed forces. And specifically, we have a loan program. And this is a loan program that you can find anywhere, but this is targeted to the military personnel. And what makes them different? Well, military personnel, they're in a base, they move to a different base. When they move, sometimes they forget to pay a bill. So their credit score goes down because of that. Sometimes they get deployed. Uh, Sometimes they have an emergency. So we through the years, became experts in understanding their their credit needs. So we tailor a company just to focus on that. So that's what makes the company different than the rest of the companies in, in the lending space. In addition to that, we speak their language. We have uh, ex-militaries, people in the company, and you know they understand their needs. They know how to talk to them. They understand where they are during the day. They may be in training. They may be in a class. Uh, they may be deployed. So we understand when they are, where they are, and we try to tailor all the experience uh, based on on that profile.
1: And when we talk about loans for the military personnel, are we talking home loans? What kind of funding are we looking for here?
0: These are small-sized loans, $10,000 or less, uh, specifically for emergencies or when you're moving houses or you need a car repair or you want to take a vacation or you need to buy a present. These are for small needs. We don't do the, the mortgage side of the lending. I see. And so w- what would make a, a
1: solution like this a better choice than maybe something like revolving credit, for example? I've got a credit limit. Why why not charge it? It's
0: it's, it's a choice. It's, it's not better. It's, it's a choice. Part of what we're going to be doing is we're going to be expanding our term loan program to a, also an open line of credit program through a credit card. So we're going to have the choice available for the, for the clients to select. I want a term loan that is going to be 12, 18, 24 months, or I want a line of credit that is over time with a, with a debit card or credit card attached to it.
1: Based on what you're saying, the only population that you're making your services available for, you, you reserve that exclusively for the military personnel, whether they're active or they're
0: veterans. Yes, it's, it's a niche company. So we tailor all the workflow, all the process of the company for that market. Through the years we're gonna be expanding to different niches, but right now we were focusing in that market that we understand very well. And was it just because
1: folks that come from the, the leadership team came from a military background and just thought in our own experience, we've had trouble and we see people that we know that we were in the military with? How did the how did the, the idea this is where this is where we're gonna focus?
0: So the was a combination of you know, knowing people in the industry, seeing a void. In the credit markets for military personnel, this was a decade ago. Uh, there were very few people in the market, so we saw an opportunity to, you know, serve this market. And through the years, we became a, a prominent player in the in the area.
1: And I would imagine being able to go through and satisfactorily service a loan like this from the perspective of the client, then that's going to help that credit score that you were talking about that that may get damaged over time from these little things happening.
0: Yes, through through time. Clients can improve their credit, and as they improve their credit, they can also get a better better loans with better rates with different uh, terms and duration. There's a graduation program that helps the client uh, get better, better terms over time as we get a payment history or behavior of the client.
1: So if someone's listening today and they're one of those uh, military personnel, they want to look into whether or not your products would be a, a fit for them, how do they go about...
0: Well, they have two choices. They can call us at uh, 866-208-8648, or they can visit our website at justmilitaryloans.com, and they they can submit an application online.
2: Where
1: do you see the, the, the this kind of, you know, the loan space and financial, personal finance industry going? I mean, it, it seems like, as we were talking with Steve and Bo, and, and, and that the economy is kind of on the upswing, and more people are are looking for funding either for a bigger house in some cases or whatever
0: the case may be. Where do, where do you see it going? Okay, there's different uh, drivers in the military market than in the general population or the economy. Through downturns, the economy, the military personnel remains employed. So the impact that you have in the in the economy economy doesn't affect them so much as would affect somebody employed in in any 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 other company. There is some stability in the market that happens through through a recession. So that's very interesting. Now, through the last 10, 15 years, there's been a huge evolution in the consumer lending market. Primarily, the people are start applying online. Everybody that was going to retail stores, now they're going online to apply for a loan. Now that evolution is moving to mobile devices. So now they're applying on their phone for the loan and they want to results on their approval or rejection right away. There is a, an evolution of the customer service experience that they want. They they expect to get an answer same day. Before was you know you go to your branch, you go to the sit down in the desk, talk to two. yes. So now it's all online and it's uh, there's it's not as personal as it used to be. There's also all this inflow of of cash in the industry in the last five years with the entrance of you know, peer-to-peer lending, lending club, Prosper.com, there's a new cohort of players that they want to disturb the banking system and the, the consumer lending that happens in the banking space. They're taking some of that and making an, a, a really a very impactful change in that market. So those are pressures that we feel, and we're making changes in the way we structure the company to be able to stay ahead of them as, as time goes by.
1: Well, clearly the, the company, Just Military Loans, is, is serving that space very well. You've made it very easy for them to get access to capital, um, small loan amounts, uh, up to, say, $10,000, did yes. you say? JustMilitaryLoans.com is the website to go to. Sabate also shared the toll-free number. I can't believe we burned through an hour real quick, but we've got all these great folks here talking about some cool ways they can help your business. I want to say thanks very much for all the guys that joined us in the studio here. Chuck Papandria, uh, Gilles LaMarche, Bo Wilkin, Steve Hunter. Jay Cornelius from Nine Labs, and of course, Sabate Palache from uh, Just Military Alone sharing some information. Uh, If you're listening to us on the podcast and you've not done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio show page. You'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the podcast lives for Midtown Business Radio. Subscribe to us. So each week when the new episode comes out, you'll be introduced to some more cool business leaders from the Atlanta area, whether you're a B2B company that might have a great service for them. What's a great way to learn about their business. Or if you're a business owner, obviously there's some great access to things that just might help your business go to the next level. So uh, we hope you subscribe to us and turn around and share it with your contacts because you might put information in their hands that really helps their business take that next step. And uh, we'll say thank you in advance to that. But guys, for joining us in the studio, I want to say thanks so much. You're all busy and I appreciate you making time to be here. And everybody out there, we appreciate you checking us out today. We'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.